All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the Garageville Podcast. Hey, this episode of the Garageville Podcast was recorded live in the Law Fran Studios. Call 866-LAW-FRAN and follow at Fran Hosh Law Group. We're also brought to you by SNS Cycles. Since 1958, SNS has led the V-Twin aftermarket from innovative new ways to get air and fuel into your performance twin to big bore kits for all big twins, sportsters, and MAs. To today's must-have exhaust components, choose SNS Cycles for your next performance upgrade. Visit sscycle.com and follow SNS Cycles on social media at SS Cycle. We're also brought to you by the Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company. Save 10%, receive free shipping in the lower 48 when you use the sales code GarageBuilt10 on all orders at ArlenNess.com. This episode is brought to you by Team Dream Rides, located in Maryville, Tennessee, only minutes from the tail of the dragon. Dream Rides specializes in performance engine upgrades, used bike sales, service, maintenance, and repair. Visit TeamDreamRides.com and follow at DreamRides Tennessee on Instagram to keep up with all the latest news. The High Seas Rally set sail this October 29th through November 5th on the High Seas for the only motorcycle rally on a cruise ship. One week, 3,500 bikers in four Caribbean ports. Follow at High Seas Rally on Instagram. Use the code SPEEDMETAL and save 100 bucks on your cabin price. And this year, we're throwing in that drink card for free. Electric lighting features top-shelf LEDs backed by 30 years of cutting-edge, industry-leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the market. Use the sales code SPEED2022 for free shipping in the lower 48 on all orders over 50 bucks at namscustomcycleproducts.com. And last but not least, we are always brought to you by 1620 Workwear, premium made-in-the-USA workwear, guaranteed for life. Visit 1620USA.com and use the discount code SPEED2022 at checkout get the biggest discount 20% no one gets that big of a discount hey man I've got a killer show for you today my guest today is the one and only Mr. Paul Cox you of course unless you've lived under a rock for the last 20 years you knew who Paul Cox is so without further ado I give you the garage build podcast You're listening to the Garage Build Podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Hey, Jason. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm I'm fantastic. I'm in that that last week before Sturgis. <laughs> <laughs> Are you heading out? I am. I am. I'm going to be there. Um, we got to get there on Saturday for that Michael Lichter, uh, the Emergent Virgin deal. I've uh, got a couple friends yep. with bikes in there this year. So we're going to do that Saturday. And then I'm always at right. the FXR show on Sunday. So, yep, we'll be there till right Thursday and then we'll bounce. Mm-hmm. So, right on. Cool. I try to go every year because I have, just like you, I have so many friends that I don't live by, right? That I only get to see right. at those types of things. So it's kind of important sometimes. Yeah, that was really so huge for so long. It's all my best friends were on the road. Right. You know, it's it's, re- it's really true with this kind of, especially when, uh, you know, I was doing bike shows like almost every single weekend of the year. And, you know, it's like your all your relationships are, are you know, somewhere else. You'd meet up in some other part of the country or some other part of the world. Yeah, and it's funny, like, you, you, spend, um, you spend so much time – in in those those windows like uh one of my best friends lives in england right and so when we see each other it's for two weeks at a time and it's it's 24 7 while they're here or you know we're over there so it's like this quality this really like concentrated time where i have friends that live you know 30 minutes from me that i'll see four times a year and it's 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 kind of sad but i get it you know yeah yeah, it's crazy. Can you hear me okay? I've just got you on speaker. Is that all right? Yeah, you're fine. Your audio is great. Yeah, no worries. No okay. worries. 
Um, so I wanted, you know, Chris asked me to, um, to handle the feature work on this new build that you did, which is amazing. I want to talk about that in detail and that. And I thought, man, this is a perfect opportunity. I've really, I've been hesitant to ask you to, to, to do this only from the standpoint of, I know you're a one man show and, uh, you know, it, nothing happens and you don't make any money if you're not spinning wrenches and, and doing what you do. So I appreciate that you could take some time to, to talk to me. It's, it, it means a lot. Yeah, sure. No problem. I mean, there's never enough time. <laughs> it's like there's, there's never enough time in the day. But uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, happy to looking. was looking forward to talking to you. It's cool, man. I appreciate that. Um, So I, I want to start with the bike just because I've got the pictures here. And, you know, you're one of those guys that... um. You know, you were part of a larger consortium of artists that were really, you know, important in shaping a good deal of what happened in the custom motorcycle industry for a, a very long time. And you still, you know, you're still shaping that. But there was a point in time where things were so red hot that um, and you were you were part of that. And, and so, you know, this bike, it's I was telling somebody yesterday, it's not only amazing to me like the quality of the motorcycles that Paul Cox builds. But it's also amazing to me that you, I can see influences from that time period in your life and your career in what you do today. But I see, when I see what you do today, I see so much of your influence on that, on the bikes that came from that shop in that time period too. And I think that is such a credit to your artisanship. Uh, thanks very much. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, that insight, you know, and, and kind of looking a little deeper below the layers. Uh, no, that means a lot. Thank you, man. Yeah. And so when you, when you drill down and look at the arc of your career, obviously I can tell you long before you and I, um, you know, did any dealings or, or knew who each other were even peripherally. I remember seeing the berserker bike and seeing this guy that was just, I mean, you were this stocky, you know, you had boots and this killer wallet chain and this, this, this mane of hair and that bike was, that was one of the first <laughs> custom bikes that I saw. And I was just like, holy shit. I feel like you rode out of a Viking ship <laughs> somewhere and we're from another time period. <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, that's, that's funny. That's, that's cool. I mean, yeah, there was some, you know, a lot of you know, changes over the years and things, um, uh, st styles change and people change and all that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's just a matter of, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the lifestyle that we chose with this whole like bike thing. It's kind of all based in doing what makes you happy and, and just kind of like rolling, you know, rolling with, rolling with it and just kind of doing, having fun with it. So, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've just been having a lot of fun over a lot of years, really blessed to be able to do what I love as my job. And, um, you know, when it's a part of kind of who you are day in and day out, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot less of a job than it is just sort of a passion. And, um, you know, so just kind of living it. Yeah. I, I had a, I had kind of an epiphany over the weekend. My, my wife uh, has a twin sister who she and her husband just uh, both retired. He retired from Ford Motor Company and they were so excited. They sold their home in Michigan and they moved down to Florida and we went and visited them at their new home. And I, I could see how happy they were that they didn't have this professional obligation anymore. And then for a second, I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's probably never going to happen for me. I have built, mm -hmm. I have built a life for myself and my wife that, um, that I don't have to take that break from, if that makes sense. Have you ever had right. that epiphany where you're, have there, have, have you ever had those moments where you're in your head and you're like, wow, okay, what does this look like if this happens? What does this look like if this happens? You mean like, um, career wise or sort of just in general, I mean, you did, you're, you're a bit of an enigma in this, in, in this, uh, in this industry. I mean, you are, no one can take away anything that's ever happened in the past and you have your own set of skills that nobody can replicate properly. So you have like this, almost this thing that you carved out for yourself of who you, who you are. And then you picked up and, and you moved out of Brooklyn, you moved out of the city and you're in the country, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Up in the mountains. Yeah. So how does one make, I mean, I, I moved from Detroit to Florida because I wanted sunshine and 12 month riding season. What made you, what made you do the opposite? 
Um, as far as the, the, the shift and all that, I mean, after, uh, 30 years in the city, um, you know, I kind of, I, I welcomed a change. I mean, really what it came down to as far as moving out of uh, Brooklyn to upstate New York is, um, when, uh, at my last shop, the, um, owner of the building that my shop was in, you know, like typical around there. I mean, it's, it's be difficult to really own one of the, you know, workshops that I've had over the years. Uh, but the, the building owner sold the building because in that neighborhood where I am, as popular as Brooklyn has become, you know, you got a single story workshop that's typically 25 by a hundred or 20 by a hundred, a couple thousand square feet, single story. And, you know, they're getting five, $10 million for these things, just for the footprint, just for the real estate. Right. So, you know, um, needless to say, like I said, you know, that's not something that I'm going to own, but, um, so the last shop that I was in, the owner sold the building and I'm thinking, I came home that night and said to my wife, oh, here we go again. Now I got to start looking around for another shop, you know, somewhere in Brooklyn with prices the way that they are and everything else. And, um, just the nature of having, having bike shops in New York city, you know, I've probably moved my shop 10 times over the past, you know, 25, 30 years. And, um, you know, as any of us know, that sucks moving a bike shop. Oh, it does. Shit, yeah. Shit's heavy. Yeah, it you is. Know. And we, when our backs but, are uh, old. <laughs> so coincidentally, we had re in recent years gotten this, uh, like a weekend place upstate, a couple hours north of the city, up in this town, Port Jervis, on the on the Delaware River. Beautiful spot. And my wife had, had um, bought a building up here that, um, you know, in, in her grand scheme, it's going to be artist studios and um, some retail and a little coffee shop and art gallery and and all these things that she's wanted to do all her life in support of the arts and specifically uh, women artists that, uh, in, the, in the beginning, it's kind of grown into this whole other thing over the past couple of years that we've been working on it. So she had bought this building and suggested, why don't you go ahead and, and make a break from the city and, um, and move your shop up to the building. And it'll sort of like be the beginning of us making that, that family shift uh, you know, long-term and go ahead and make that break because, uh, our, our daughter is in a performing arts school that she still has a little bit of time to finish. And, you know, she's committed to that. We're committed to her following through on that. And that's in Manhattan. So, um, we're still in the middle of a little bit of back and forth with they're down there during the week so that she could finish school. And I'm up here full time, just, uh, just a little ways out of town. So, you know, we're sort of doing a little bit of that back and forth. But, um, you know, but it was kind of the best thing that I ever did, uh, creatively and, you know, spiritually and for the, you know, for the shop and just, you know, um, overall it's, it's been, it's been amazing. So by me moving the shop up here, we were able to go ahead and kind of get started on the, the project that, that she's been wanting to do and, and get start doing renovations on the building and, and, uh, and really kind of, you know, ramp this whole thing up that was going to be our future and kind of accelerate it a little bit, um, which has been amazing. Yeah. So it's been kind of, you know, when you say sort of what led to the move, it's a little bit of, you know, it's a few different layers of things that just kind of came together all at one time a couple of years ago. And, um, and it's, and it's been great. And family wise, we're just making it work. I mean, my, my wife's incredible. She's a, an artist, and a jeweler and metalsmith and uh, clothing designer, among other things, um, herself. And we collaborated on a lot of things creatively. And um, so we keep an apartment down in, uh, in Manhattan so that, um, you know, we can, uh, so that she can stay with some, you know, my daughter can finish out the last couple of years of school that she has. They're down there during the week and we're together on the weekends or, uh, you know, or otherwise. Like, obviously, you know, we're together all summer. and Sure. Yeah. And just making it work, you know what I mean? And, and uh, it's, it's been pretty cool. And honest, honestly, we've, we've never been closer, you know what I mean? You know, kind of family-wise. It's, it's sort of led to we, 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 we separate, we do our individual things, just, you know, 110%. And then we're, when we're together, we're together 110%. Yeah, I think so that plays into what I was saying where you have, you start to understand quality over quantity of things. And that was kind yeah, of where absolutely. I was trying to lead into is like, you know, there is, when, when, 
let me make sure I can articulate this right to, so that it doesn't sound like I'm being corny, but when you slow things down a little bit, those minutes, you know, you divide them up into 60 second increments, you really start to look at things from a different lens and you realize that you, you do have some time and you start to cherish that time that you have and you start looking at it because I tell people all the time that time is the last thing that you run out of and it's the only thing you can't buy more of on Amazon. And so it's so precious. And the fact that you're able to, you know, look at that and realize that, hey, I've got these weekends here with my family. I've got the holidays and stuff and all summer, but we make the most of it. And that's amazing. It's good to hear that. Yeah, it really is that type of feeling. And, you know, when, um, when I go back, in, you know, to the city and, and we're together there. It's just this whole fresh experience. Again, it's really, you know, the, the move of getting, leaving after 30 years where, you know, you've kind of done all the cool shit you want to go to New York city and do. You're pretty established. It's not really affecting your choices a whole lot anymore, except for just what you need to do to get through every day and get through, you know, your, you cover your overhead and everything else. Initially, you know, when you, when you put yourself in New York city, especially for creative purposes or for whatever your, your passion is and you want it to be because, you know, you're in this like thriving, just like pulsing, amazing, you know, place that inspires you. It, it's, 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 you know, you're at that stage where it's, it's forming, it's, it's kind of affecting, it's, it's, you know, your choices, your creativity, it's stimulus. It's something that you're feeding off of. And after a while, when you sort of find your groove creatively and, you know, you become kind of who, who you, you know, were, were trying to be or, you know, you're trying to kind of like strive towards something and you're sort of like, you know, achieving that goal and leveling out, then you realize you're just sort of, you know, struggling to maintain. Yeah, the high mentality that happens there, you know. You know, because I – you know, one shop leads to another and it got to where, you know, the last spot that I was in, it had a big glass roll down door that I just mirror tinted it. And I took the handle off the door and kept it locked. So you're basically, you know, you just shut in like a, a box 12 hours a day anyway. So you start yeah. to realize, well, why do I even bother? You know, I could just as well be, you know, someplace else with, you know, in the mountains with like beautiful trees next to a river and go in and, and do what I what I still enjoy about, um, about New York city and still like, you know, feed off that, 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 uh, you know, stimulus and that sort of excitement and the things that I really love about it. But I can step away from, you know, the, the part that kind of drags you down. I think that's because a good the, point. You know, in, in the beginning, the excitement overwhelms all that, you know, for years and years and years, like I said, after like 30 years, it's, you kind of realize, Oh wait, you know, I, I, I can change this up. I'm not, I'm not, you know, stepping away from something that, um, that's like feeding me the way that it used to. Right. And then, you know, a lot of people, it still does. And a lot of things that, you know, like any, any, any time, anywhere, you know, things change and it's, it's always, you know, it's the same old cliche. It's not like it used to be, right. you know, so the, even in the, in the, in the bike circles and, and creatively and artistically and everything else, you know, a lot of the intensity is gone. I mean, obviously, you know, you can jump into all, all kinds of conversations that connect with that, with um, the internet and social media, which is a conversation in and of itself. When, you know, in the late 80s and, and early 90s, when we were just really getting these, these shops going that I was involved with, um, you know, if you didn't have a bike in a magazine, nobody knew what the hell you were doing. Right. Unless somebody literally walked into your shop and made and made the trip to go there, um, you know we're kind of branching off into some other stuff right now. But no, but that's a that's a fun place to go, isn't it? Do you remember how fun it was? Me think of that. Remember how fun it was to go to yeah. someone else's shop and see how they had their tools set up, what tools they had, little tricks and yeah. things they did. I mean, it was like um, I was talking with a builder uh, on, on my last podcast interview, and I was talking about how when I first got into this, um, you know, you're you. I put people in like a class system of, you know, I graduated high school in 91. You may have graduated high school in 87. So you're class of 87, right? But you're in the group of people that got into the industry and found um, a level of success that allowed you to do this full time before I did. So you're kind of the class ahead of me, right? You're with you and Larry and Billy and Jesse and 
Gymnasi and, and that group of people that came before me. So when I would see your bike parked somewhere and you weren't standing next to it, where I didn't feel like I was being obtrusive, you know, I was down on my hands and knees and looking at how you twisted this, how you twisted that. And the, the bike that I did that with you first was um, in bike week of, I don't remember what year it was. I, it would take me, man, I think it was 05. You did a bike called Bone Shaker. And yeah, I, I've always, one of the things that I've always noticed about your work was there's a few guys that are very dangerous with their their, their art is their, their their level of art and and I put you in that class of those people and I don't mean that you build dangerous bikes I I mean that you do things in a fearless manner some of the parts that you use on your bikes are factory parts that are modified some of the parts that you use are parts that you built from from absolute raw materials and some of the parts that you build you do things a very difficult way so that it's so that you see the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, you dish, uh, you, you'll dish the side of a tank and you'll do it the hard way. Like some people will just go buy a tank that's already dished. Some people will cut the sides off and switch them. You put that extra work into it. And I don't know if you do that to make it hard or you do that because that's the only way that you go home and when you rest your head on your pillow, you feel accomplished. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a, it's kind of a mouthful. It makes me think of like a lot of, a lot of details, a lot of choices over a lot of years. Um, and you know, uh, it, I don't have like a really premeditated, um, style or approach that it's always this way. Um, you know, like the tanks, for example, it's just more appropriate, you know, to whatever's appropriate to the situation. Sure. Um, sure. you know, and if, and if one shape lends itself to, um, you know, cutting out and reversing, then that's fine. If one shape lends itself to, um, you know, to doing the, you know, the, the rod perimeter and then just, you know, hammering the sides in it, you know, I guess the feeling is just not, not, not feeling like I'm kind of tied to one approach or another. It's whatever, um, right. whatever sort of feel is the, the best in the moment. Um, I feel like so many of those things have, you know, you know, I'll, I'll remember a bike or somebody will mention something from years ago and I totally had forgotten the experience until I think back and then remember kind of what I was feeling at the time or what I was thinking at the time. Um, it's kind of, kind of funny like that. How much of when you sit down to craft a bike, I, I know I've seen drawings. Um, I've seen you render uh, your project beforehand. I don't know if you do that in every one of them, mm-hmm. but how much of your bike building is problem solving <laughs> and how much of it is raw art? Um, <clears throat> Well, the problem solving aspect is, is interesting because that makes me kind of think about this BMW thing that I'm doing over here. Right. Um, the challenges I think are fun. Like, um, with this BMW where it's got all the bells and whistles electronically and all that, and I'm kind of turning it into this sort of bare bones chopper, but you know, the challenge and the problem solving in that, um, actually there's a lot of things cause it's such an odd configuration compared to what I'm usually used to mm-hmm. is I want to retain all that. You know, so my personal challenge is how can I retain uh, just as sort of a, a an exercise in sort of eliminating, you know, the visual uh, clutter, but still keeping um, everything that was engineered to, to be there with all the uh, controls, you know, all the all the controls that are engineered and all the, you know, the, the handsets and the and the gauge cluster and everything else and kind of hide it all. Uh, but still have it, not just not just chop it all out and drop it on the floor and say, "Look, it's a chopper." You know, I've just eliminated everything. That's that's <laughs> right. great. Well, that's easy. You know, done fifty of those. Um, so, you know, and then and then the the mechanical challenges of that of that particular bike in you know like the the footprint of the bike, the silhouette was just a little long in the rear. Just to touch on that specifically for two seconds, mm-hmm. um, the wheelbase is just about say three or four inches longer than what I like, you know, than say a typical Harley, for example. And um, you know, this this model R18 from BMW, people have done customs out of it. You know, it's a recent model, but there's still some customs out there people have done. But nobody works with anything to do with the engine. They pretty much build covers around it. Nobody does anything with the overall chassis because it's shaft drive. And, you know, it's not like you can just shorten the chain and move the tire up. 
Right. It's pretty much, it is where it is. And, um, and honestly, I was, I was so committed to, to making the, the footprint a little bit shorter and the overall wheelbase a little bit shorter because I thought the proportions uh, would suit be so much nicer. I started uh, dealing with the factory and seeing if I could get a shorter shaft made so that then I could build the rear section and swing arm um, around that. And I've actually, we've been able to, we've been able to achieve that. And uh, the shaft is on the way. So that's pretty cool and was something that I kind of got obsessed with. It became, um, it did become like a problem solving sort of um, mission that I didn't want to just turn away from because it was too much of a challenge. And I think it's, it's going to be pretty, pretty neat in the end. Yeah, that um, bike in particular, the R18 series, I uh, I was first introduced to those last year when they were released the, during the pre-release of the, the Baggers uh, at Sturgis. And then I was invited to attend their, their ride and drive where they introduced the R18 Baggers. And one of the things that I really give them credit for number one it's a it's an it's an amazing motorcycle and i tried telling everybody mm-hmm. what an amazing motorcycle it was when i when i wrote about it um but but they didn't i find that a lot of companies that build shaft driven motorcycles in the v-twin kind of in that cruiser segment whether it be v-twin or not they try to kind of hide the fact that they well we do shaft driven motorcycles and those aren't cool so we're just not going to draw attention to it we're here bmw has their their shaft is exposed it's polished it's beautiful it's it's actually part of kind of the the overall panache of of the motorcycle and it's a it's fantastic that they did that and i give them a lot of credit for that and that boxer motor is very smooth yeah i didn't know and i'm sorry i didn't know you did a write-up on it um that would be cool to see. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I was really excited with the, with, you know, the bike and putting some, some miles on it, uh, when I first got it. And then, you know, the, the agreement was to get into the build at some point anyway. So, you know, I've I've gotten around to that and then, and then just started kind of going full steam ahead. So I've got the engine hanging out, um, swinging on a hoist right now because I'm working all around that working on the engine cases. Cause you know, what I kind of touched on briefly was, how um, the uh, the boxer engine, as cool as it is, it just tends to kind of get ignored in, in any of the customs that I've seen. And um, so I'm, you know, stripping all the coatings off and polishing the cases and going to do a bunch of hand engraving and really make it, you know, sort of a feature right. in the uh, in the build. So, um, you know, there was definitely a lot of, you know, out of out of my comfort zone problem solving in this project, but I love it. You know, I mean, I really do get it. I, I really dig it. I just really like, um, having something that, you know, I know how to make it look like I want to make it look by doing X, Y, and Z, but now how can I bring this other element in, still make it look like I want, and then still have this other aspect, this other goal achievable as well. And, you know, it kind of goes back to when you asked about the comparison between, or, or, you know, building by way of problem solving or pure art or whatever, you, you know, the yeah. terminology that you used. Um, it kind of goes goes back years and years with, with me and my thoughts on that, where as a, as a painter and sculpt, sculptor my, myself, because I went to, uh, came up in art school and came to New York City originally uh, in the late 80s in, uh, in the the art world and did uh, fashion illustration for a couple of stores down in Soho and was in print in magazines and newspaper every day. And that was you know, commercial art and, and fine art and painting was what I originally came to the city for. Um, so with all that in mind, I would look at the motorcycles and, and the way that I worked with motorcycles and, and then what some, some people might do to more of an extreme, just kind of pure art approach to motorcycles. And in that sense, I, my approach tended to be more of a combination of, of, you know, keeping in mind engineering and and mechanical practicality of what this machine needed to do and, you know, achieve, and then bring my, my fine art desires and background and approach into it to find this, this perfect balance between the two. That's what I think is worth. That's, that's where I think the value lies in, in what we do. And what I see in my personal opinion as it being done right is when there's a balance between, you know, 
respecting and acknowledging the mechanical requirements of a motorcycle, since that's what this platform is that we're applying our art to, and then still having it, you know, having that balance out against the, the, you know, the pure aesthetic art and the pure sculptural aspect of, of, you know, that part of the approach and not have it be just one or the other, because if it's purely, you know, form over function that it could be, well, yeah, it works great, but it just looks like a clunky mess. Yeah. Or if it's purely trying to be all oh, this fantastical sort of like fantasy machine thing, well, you know, it might look kind of fun and look kind of like a dragon or look kind of like, you know, some fantasy thing or whatever, but would be miserable to go down the road, you know, because you because maybe they've, you know, thrown the functional aspect out the window. So, of course, you know, finding that balance is, is sort of the ultimate to me and, and, you know, having it have to still serve a purpose and be safe and functional and, and perform and everything else. Um, those parameters, I just think, make it more of a challenge to then do something that's really cool and really unique and special um, at the same time. So, well, you know, you know one of the things that I've always given you kudos for, and you know, and, and like I said, I'm a detail guy. So, you know, <clears throat> when you find something, in, in you may just take this for granted and not even know that it, that other people notice this about your work. But, and I, but I, I don't think that's the case. Is that the stuff that you do? Like, for instance, you use the Russell Enduro uh, Endura fittings that are kind of they kind of can disappear mm -hmm. as part of jewelry into the motorcycle, but you're that you have that on all of your bikes so that, and that tells me, okay, they're on all of Paul's bikes. I never see Paul's bikes broken. That means they work, right? So there's some things that you do. So when I look at your bikes, you're exactly right. Cause I've seen bikes that are magnificent works of art that, that really are not going to go down the road. And in the biker build off days, we saw some of that stuff and we saw some of those bikes break. Right. And then we saw people that really, really built rugged machines that had proper ground clearance and and actually stopped and had a wide tire but not too wide wide enough to hook wide enough that you could still turn you know and all those things and, and that mm. was one of the things that i always noticed about your bikes was that you know that berserker bike one of the first things i ever saw with that was a video of you doing a, a a burnout on a bike with a foot clutch and no front brake and you know and here you are surfing on the tank and i was just like jesus this guy like i said i mean it was it was it was very visceral hearing that bike, seeing that bike, watching the video of you riding. It was, those are little life-changing moments that, that happen when, when you're trying to develop, trying to find, you said earlier, trying to find yourself. Well, when I was trying to find myself in this industry, you know, you're one of those people that really stood out as, as a scary person in a good way. Like, wow, that, you know, this guy, this guy's very edgy. And you had mentioned that you went to Camden art school. So, you have fine arts background. Where does, mm -hmm. where does that, I know it never ends, but where do you look at motorcycles and go, Jesus, that's, where was your, what was your thing, your trigger where you're like, that's what I want to do. That's badass. Well, um, you're right in, in the fact that you said it sort of never ends. And, you know, people will ask me, you know, have you, have you painted lately or, or whatever? And, um, you know, things like that about some specific aspect of the arts that I, that I do. And I find it, it's just kind of a, just a creative, you know, existence overall. It's whatever it is, whether I'm painting, building, you know, building an engine, making a frame, painting on canvas, um, you know, sculpting, engraving, whatever it is, it's all satisfying. And I think that the reason I do so many different things besides, um, ADHD or whatever people are calling it these days right. is, is just that I, I find inspiration in, in so many forms of the arts. Um, that it just, it just all excites me so much that I just can't, I can't stop kind of moving from one to the other. And so with that being said, the motorcycle as a creative art form sort of satisfies so many of those desires in one place at one time. Right. And from growing up riding bikes and, and, you know, doing mechanical things briefly with, with my dad and then beyond that, um, uh, you know, just figuring stuff out for myself. Um, you know, always being in the bikes, uh, it just sort of came back full circle to, uh, like I said, late eighties, early nineties, kind of getting with some, some circles of guys in the, and people in, in, um, Manhattan and the, in bikes, Manhattan and, and Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, getting sort of deep into the bike scene there and 
along with being in the art circles and working with galleries and my fine art and commercial art, the one thing led to another. And then the bikes just kind of became my full-time thing um, after a couple of years and really satisfied so many of those, those, you know, needs and desires creatively through, um, you know, the paint, the mechanical aspect, the engineering aspect, the sculptural aspect, so many of those things. And like in, in lower Manhattan in that time, there was just such a really intense sort of underground, you know, um, you know, circles of, you know, the, the bikes, the tattooists, the painters, the singers, you know, the bands, right. you know, how that all kind of goes and all runs in, in, in similar circles and in overlapping circles. So just the, the excitement and the intensity was just, you know, off the charts and, and it all overlapped. So, you know, we would be, you know, all day working on the bikes in the shop, you know, pulling out the choppers, going out to, you know, somebody's art show that was, you know, painters, friends of mine, or maybe I was getting people together to go to an art show that I was having after we were at the shop all day. And then, you know, got like a gallery opening that night or friends that had bands or, or whatever. And so the arts just kind of all overlapped and the bike thing just became my kind of, um, uh, you know, overall passion that, you know, when you, you're doing stuff for yourself and, you know, your, your buddy or somebody says, Hey, could you do one of those for me or whatever? And then one thing leads to another and 30 years later, here we are. Right. Um, you answered a question that I was going to ask earlier, just kind of intrinsically through conversation, but I, you know, I, I, my question was going to be, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know your family. I don't know your wife. I don't know your daughter, but I, I did know that your daughter was interested in art because of your social media. Uh, you've shared, you know, a, a, a little window into kind of what the Cox family does, but I, I would imagine that things like Christmas and, 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 you know, personal family holidays and things like that are all woven, that art is woven into the fabric of, of your daily life in, in all of that. What, what is your, your daughter's, um, what is she pursuing? Is she pursuing kind of hasn't found her muse yet, or does she have something that has really just absolutely lit her up and, and, and she's real proud of it? Yeah. Her passion is dance and performing arts. So, um, you know, that's something that she's done as, as full time as she c could since she's probably been five years old. And, uh, so she's a, a performing arts school now, like an audition-based school that um, is that where she focuses on dance, and then also dances with another um, dance company outside of school. So um, you know she's she's pretty uh, you know fully immersed in in the performing arts. So that's that's her passion. But you know she loves all kinds of things, kind of like uh, Anne and I both. Do. You know she likes visual arts and and you know creating in all types of ways. So. That's yeah. fantastic. And and I think you mentioned earlier that, you know, uh, the city and, and I don't I don't think you could find uh, you'd have to go back um, several, you know, a few hundred years to find a, a, a space in history or place in history where so many performers um, have have come. You know, definitely New York was the epicenter of the 20th century for for all things. I mean, even the cinema. Uh, that that was based in Hollywood once you know Louis B Mayer and, and those people started everything out there. Um, New York City was still where the talent was cultivated from and was pulled from and was encouraged and certainly performance. I mean, I didn't get to see that when I was in New York the one time I was there, but I was mm -hmm. much younger and I was going there to see to go to one of your parties in Brooklyn. So I, I didn't have oh. I didn't have culture on my mind, if you will. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know, it was it was one of those situations where you guys blocked the streets off, and we just got as wild as we could be. But um, right. you know, I I I I champion the fact that you seem to be a parent, and and you know, I'm I'm only talking about this because I know that you know I'm a parent, and I'm I'm actually a grandparent mm -hmm. now, and and I know you're a parent, and so our children enrich our lives in so many ways, and kind of 
really, if we do it parenting right, I think it changes the arc of where we take even our career and our decisions because it's, it's, everybody is so involved in that. And it's, I just wanted to say that, you know, being in somewhere like Manhattan or being in Brooklyn or actually being able to be in the city and take advantage of talents that you have and offer opportunities is something that is so important to, to do mm -hmm. uh, uh, to, for young people. Yeah. Yeah. And also that they, you know, I mean, she's, acknowledges that and recognizes it too and, and appreciates it which which is great and it's an opportunity uh where you know since that is her passion you know being right there you know that's where she can look for career opportunities and uh and every everything else so yeah, um, you can't it, fake it, that you know yeah yeah i mean and you know whether the you're in you know proximity of where your opportunities lie i mean you you still have to be successful and good at it. So yeah, you know, exactly. You still never, you still never know. I mean, it's still, isn't that the old saying is uh, the old saying is you have to be good to be lucky, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. Um, but even, you know, even being there as, as a whole, I mean, you know, I'm originally, my wife and I both are originally from Virginia and um, <clears throat> you know, uh, even touching on, it reminds me of a conversation that Larry and I used to have because, you know, he's from, um, upstate New York and um, not from New York City, but we would talk about how, you know, you, you, you consciously put yourself in a location and in a position, especially early on when you didn't have social media and the internet to be able to kind of basically, you know, put yourself wherever you want on the planet uh, in front of people. You put yourself someplace so that you can achieve your goals, you know, and, and he and I were similar in that way because, I mean, he was so intensely into the arts overall. I mean, just as a bike guy, I mean, that was definitely, right. uh, were, you know, part of it, but it was rooted so much deeper in, in just the arts in general. And he was a natural born performer and just, you know, just, just wild man, you know, creatively and perform and, you know, wanted to just be on the cutting edge of everything, just interesting and exciting and no matter what it was and bikes was just part of it. But, um, you know, he put himself in New York city for a purpose, you know, to be where, the, the excitement was and be where the intensity was and be where you had an opportunity to then grow your, your skills and your desires. And with, with me and, and then my, my wife as well, it was the same thing. You know, we put ourselves there because we wanted to be a part of, you know, um, be where the opportunities were to, to grow our, our passion, you know, and, and, and to grow creatively. And like I said, you know, you used to have to do that a lot more than you do now, but still, um, you know, Dylan already kind of being in that place, uh, you know, since she was born and, you know, she definitely has the opportunity as well, but you know, yeah, you, you used to have to be a lot more conscious about that. You know, to kind of yeah. Put that, yourself there. that was, that is a much better way of saying what, what I was trying to articulate is that, you know, when you brought in the, the internet and that's what, that's what made the light bulb just go off in my head is that, you know, here I am sitting in Florida um, and, and I'm doing a podcast with you in my studio. And uh, ironically enough, Paul, I went to second, I went to school to be a radio disc jockey and was a radio disc jockey. I had the whole deal and the, the radio voice and the radio name and the whole deal. And it didn't, it didn't resonate with me the way I thought it would. It didn't, it didn't call to me, you know, I was still into cars and then I got into bikes and, and then 10 years ago, Joe Rogan comes out with a podcast and I'm like, wait a minute, that's kind of the same thing. I know all these people, no one's doing it in the motorcycle business yet. I have all these friends and these contacts. And so that kind of intrinsically did that, but I'm doing it through the internet, right? So mm -hmm. I'm not getting in a van and driving up to you and sitting down and doing it. I'm, I'm able to do it through right. the internet. And, and so right. I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, yeah. I think it's kind of sad when you think about, um, I'll use the smoke out as an example. And, you know, we all knew that we were all going to be there in, in, uh, in June. And the only way that we knew that was because the issues leading up to that told us that that's where everybody was going to be. So there was that buzz. We didn't have the internet where we could just instantly communicate in that same way back, way back when, you know, Paul, Paul Weidman and I used to have a conversation every single day on the way home from work for him and the way home from work with me. And that was social media back then, right? And before that, when we were little kids, uh -huh. riding a BMX bike out and to see who was out playing, 
That was how you found out yeah. what was going on. So it is much different. And, I, and I, I hope that young people understand, like if you want to be a bike builder, that's awesome. You can definitely start in your garage and there's lots of information on the internet, but wouldn't you say that going and finding an old head and begging them to let you sweep his shop is probably yeah. a much better place to start. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, there's, um, I mean, shit, we could talk about that for another hour, right? but, um, you know, and I think even just the opinions on that or my own being, you know, realistic. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll get super aggravated about something, but I'll still back off and play kind of devil's advocate, trying to look at the other side of things. Like with that, uh, social media and internet stuff compared to, um, you know, magazines and analog and like, you know, actually being in the moment and not having that kind of distraction and, you know, and kind of talking it down that, um, I think it's that period has sort of come and gone. I mean, it's sort of right. like on the, on the cusp of if you chose to really, um, you, you know, because it's, 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 it's been a generation since all that's changed. I mean, yep. you know, people that have grown up with that, you can't tell them, that's really shitty. You know, you gotta, you should, you should do this, you know, hands on and like, you know, suffer through blah, blah, blah. They're going to look at you like you got three heads because they just don't even, that's already out of, you know, younger people's young adults mindsets. Right. Um, but I think there's absolutely, so it's, it's become literally two different things. I don't even think it's a choice anymore for, for younger people, but it's, um, it's definitely, um, you know, something that I think, you know, there's, there, I think there's a lot more value in learning slower learning through experience. I think it's the, you know, learning through YouTube videos will give you a couple of basic, you know, one person's opinion of a couple of basic tips and hints. And then somebody is going to like, cause I see it. I see it when people, you know, show up here and they've, they've looked up something and they come in thinking that they can, now that they can, they can do it because they've seen me do it. They went home and looked it up and now they come in like, Oh, I'm good now. I can, I can do what you know, you were talking about. And you know, they've still got to make the mistakes. Right. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, people that, that think that that's, that's all it takes. They soon realize I gotta, I gotta fuck up a lot before I actually do get good at this. Um, and sometimes, you know, the attitude can be a little bit like, Oh, well, you know, I, I watched the video. So, so now I know what you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have, you know, and you can't tell them otherwise until they realize, oh, wait, you know, it's not as easy as I thought that it was. I only know what and, you were willing to, to show me in the video. I don't know why, why you did what you did. I just know what you're letting me know. Well, yeah. And, you know, by seeing it, thinking that, it, that suddenly their hands can do it and, um, and not developing that rote memory and those, you know, those, um, <clears throat> those, those things that, you know, again, where you've made the mistakes and then you realize, Oh, don't do it that way. Because, you know, you might see somebody do it one way, but then you don't realize there's 99 other ways not to do it. Right. Uh, whatever there is, whether it's, you know, artistically or mechanically or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I miss a lot of things about the way that the excitement of not being able to really know everything that's happening in anybody's shop all around the world in any moment and the excitement of waiting for like the next magazine to come out on the newsstands or the excitement of, of getting to somebody's shop on that one trip to California, you were able to go and like, Oh, we got to go here and here and here because I've never seen right. you know that guy's stuff before ever, except for like the one bike that he got on the cover of a magazine. But I'd love to see what else he's doing because you have, unless he sends you an envelope full of photographs, you have no idea what's happening in that shop, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um, no, that's and, a very uh, good point. That's a that's a very I mean, good point. You know, I think that that excitement is long gone. Um, you know, when we had cycle cycles back on the Lower East Side, uh, and you know, you get somebody, some kid showing up on your doorstep from Japan, was like, "How did you even know about this?" But then they had made that trip, and it would, you know happen a handful of times where people from some other part of the country showing up on the doorstep. That was so huge. That was so meaningful for both of you. Right. You know, and, um, and was so, so cool. And just the difference in personalities of, of bikes and of bike shops and the people in them regionally, uh, from even across town. I mean, even between us and the shop over in, over in Soho on the other side of, of downtown Manhattan, 
I mean, it was just like night and day, you know, because we were over here, like we were the hardcore chopper guys, and those were like the yuppie soft tail guys. <laughs> and, and it was just like completely different circles. And, um, um, you know, so a lot of that style-wise is, you know, is long gone and will never return because everything's become so homogenized um, because everybody sees everything instantly. And people developing their own style and their, you know, people's styles are developed from basically every other, everybody else's style in, in the moment because they're all looking at what everybody else is doing. Nobody's behind locked doors, not paying attention. I know, you know, so, um, you know, what guys were doing in Japan, what guys were doing in Sweden, you know, Swedish long bikes. I love those bikes, by the way. I love them. Get a little glimpse of it and it'd be like, whether it was in a book or finally when a magazine would come out, uh, you'd be like, holy shit, I didn't realize, you know, like hiding the coil up in the gas tank or like, you know, hiding like front brake lines inside the fork tubes on those long bikes or, you know, wow, that is the coolest thing. Um, And then you might lock it away and it might pop up in what you were doing someplace down the road, but you know, now it's just a lot of the excitement is kind of waning and the, the stim- the overstimulus of just seeing so much in the moment is, um, you know, it kind of, uh, dilutes the, the excitement. It's a different type of excitement. You know, that's why I can't say it's gone so full circle where it's, you just got to say it's not right or wrong. It's just different. Yeah. That's no, all. you're absolutely and right. We all use it. You know, we all benefit from it. I mean, and not to say to expect, you know, you got like you've got to be driving around in a van to, you know, to be like a respectable interviewer. Like anybody has to do that anymore or, you know, anything else like, you know, I can't be on the internet or I can't use, you know, um, Instagram to promote my business or whatever. No, it's just, it's a different world now. And, and I would, I would never, you know, ignore the, um, uh, you know, how valuable, and how beneficial these new things are because we all use them all day, every day. Absolutely. Um, but, um, but it's just cool to kind of think back and think, you know, Oh, wow. That was just like, that was just really neat back then in these, in these other ways, but not, you know, kind of going way past griping about it or, or saying, that yeah, we, we have to make sure we right don't turn and turn to those crud mungeons that when we were coming out, they were like, Oh, you kids, you know, that you with yeah. your MTV and your vans, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess, I, I guess I need to segue over to, there's, there's one, well, there's, there's two questions I'll have, but I'll finish up with those at the end. But I wanted to talk about your latest project. It's, uh, it's being featured in cycle source magazine. That was the impetus for, for me reaching out to you, um, on Sunday to see if, if you had some time this week and, and I'm looking at this bike. And once again, I, I, I have to give you some, some high honors for, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of, um, I'm a bit of an Evo fan. And that's not a power plant that uh, that you that you know. If someone says Paul right. Cox, generally speaking, we're we're not thinking about evolution. We're thinking of you know a panhead or um, even something that's a little more um, off off left or right of center of that. That that's even even more um, different. And this, you know, I'm, right. I'm looking at the pictures here. It looks like this has a a different type of drivetrain. It looks like a Dyna or a bagger drivetrain. Can, can we talk a little bit about, you know, this is, this is a new project. This is something that you're just releasing now and I, and it's fantastic looking. It definitely has your DNA on it, but tell me a little bit about the project. Well, um, this started out as it is a, it's a Dyna and, um, was a Dyna and, um, the guy that owns this, uh, Sean, uh, he came in from Long Island and he had already had this customized sometime back. I can't say exactly when I'm not sure, but he wrote it in with a bunch of, you know, say kind of like, you know, ability sort of Ness pro street type, um, accessories and, you know, billet wheels, a lot of, um, you know, ball mill cover type stuff and like a green and orange paint job. And, um, you know, it was kind of of a period and he had done some custom stuff to it, but it was still a dyna. And, um, and he wanted to kind of, you know, really just kind of go full, full circle and just gave me, you know, complete, um, 
uh, license to, to kind of make it my own, so to speak. And, um, you know, so I brought it in and what he wanted to do was turn it into, you know, kind of like a, a sort of a old school rigid kind of setup, um, like he used to do mixed with a few little modern things. Like he had this nice, uh, stores Siriani front end that works great. You know, right. it's a beautiful front end. He wanted to keep that, you know, we've done a couple of, of bikes with those over the years and, um, but still wanted to have a little bit of that, that earlier flavor, like go full rigid, which was a challenge with the Dyna setup. And then also, um, go ahead and take out the, uh, the square tube backbone, which is, you know, sort of a signature Dyna FXR feature, uh, in those chassis, but he wanted to really kind of make it, um, you know, in a, in a, you know, in an earlier, earlier style, sort of from the, the ground up. So he wanted to go with a round backbone. And, um, you know, so I did all that. That was the first challenge when you come down to, you know, you're talking about problem solving and, and that kind of thing where this really brought a lot of that to the table. And, you know, I, I got really, I got really into it. I got really excited about it. So, um, chassis was obviously the first challenge and it take the, you know, I really started thinking about the rubber mount engine and transmission with then the rigid solid rear without the, you know, um, swing arm and everything else sort of moving in line with the, uh, with the drive line, they would, if I left the, the drive line rubber mounted, but then I'm rigid mounting the rear wheel, you know, one thing leads to another and then you end up that you just got to basically solid mounts everything. Well, here comes, that's the problem solving that we talked about earlier where, you know, okay, now you're right. through the art piece, you're, you're creating, you're creating some obstacles that, you know, you can either look at them as opportunities or problems. <laughs> right. 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 So I'm, I'm kind of deciding where to, where to begin the hardtail section, where to um, convert from rubber mount to solid mount and, and how to set up all those from scratch with all handmade components and then drop in the, um, you know, the round backbone and, um, you know, gusset the frame and clean up the neck and, and all that so that, uh, you know, you still retain the, you know, the practical aspect of the job it needs to do, but, you know, make it look like you want it to look. And I built in the, uh, the rigid air system that I do that you're familiar with. Oh yeah. There's built in, built into there. So you got a little bit of a comfortable ride still. And you know, those work great. And, um, and he wanted to run an open belt. So I got a nice, uh, you know, belt drive, drive set up and then, but eliminating the inner primary, I still had to make, then I had to make a custom, uh, outer bearing support to support the, uh, the transmission shaft, I the main that, shaft, because yeah. it has no, um, no primary support at that point. And, uh, you know, a few things like that. So there's, you know, there's nothing on the market for that. And he wanted to go dedicated kick only. So, you know, I removed the, the top ear, uh, for the starter motor from the transmission and cleaned all that up just to kind of make it look as bare bones as possible. And did a mechanical clutch arm that comes across the top. And, you know, for the foot clutch sure. and the five speed kicker with Magneto. And, you know, he just, he just wanted to go all in for this, this sort of, you know, old chopper setup on his, on his Dyna. So, um, you know, I really had fun with it. And even, even maintaining the, uh, using that, that stores Siriani, um, you know, something that people probably won't pick up on, but the lower legs were set up for dual fender mounts and dual disc brakes. And he wanted to go a front spool to the 23 inch front spool. So, um, you know, I took those legs apart, took the lowers off, machined them on the bridge port, you know, machined all the mounts off, went in and milled out, you know, where the sections didn't match and, and made them look like they were made to be no brakes, no fender, and then have, had them replated and, uh, put everything back together. So it kind of looks like a stock Siriani, but actually has no, no mounts for fenders or brakes. And that's one of those things when I was saying earlier that you, you take, <clears throat> they're not liberties. You really take chances to make sense. I mean, there's some people that would argue that, that there are some people, I don't think feel this way, but there are some people that would argue that you ruined a perfectly good performance front end. And I kind of like that people ruin perfectly good parts in, in <laughs> the process of, of hitting the mark and not compromising on, on what you have to do. You, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I always tell somebody when you're building a bike, 
pick one or two parts that are super, super like high-end expensive or actually, you know, something you really, really want and then make the rest of it work with that and you're going to get a good mm -hmm. bike. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's going to be always, there's, you know, it's always going to be the argument of foot brakes or not. I mean, yeah, foot brakes are great. But if you want them, you want them. If you don't, you don't. Right. You know, who gives a shit? I don't fucking care. Um, you know, as a customer, I mean, what I care about what a customer has to say, uh, in all honesty, since they typically come and they just say, you know, I'm familiar with what you do, so just do your thing, and that's cool. Great. But what I want to know what they really care about is, um, is shift shifting style and brakes because two things I want somebody to be safe and I want them to have fun and when somebody comes to me and says oh I want to do a jockey shift and I go okay great so you're so you're you're sure you're comfortable with that and he goes well it looks cool so I want to give it a shot you know but I, I don't know I'm kind of scared and I go well I tell him really think about it because I set up a good jockey shift setup where you know it's all about like pedal you know, pedal feel. ratio and pedal position and geometry. And I see a lot of shitty ones out there and a lot of still, you know, people today doing like kit conversions, five speed conversions and kits for you, you know, convert your thing into a jockey and you'll be badass. but they're fucking horrible and the geometry is wrong and they're going to be miserable using it. You yep. Know? And, um, <laughs> I've you had, know, so that's, I've have ridden a few of those, <laughs> you know, so it's crucial. It's like, it's got to work. First of all, but if you're doing it because, you know, you think it's going to be cool and you're not, but you're not going to be comfortable with it. And, you know, you think it's just kind of a tough guy thing, then maybe think twice about it. And I'll, you know, be more than happy to give somebody, you know, a standard shifting setup and front brakes all day long, whatever they want that they're comfortable with. That's going to make it fun to ride. Right. So that's the bottom line. It's got to be fun and it's got to be safe. Um, you know, but, Beyond that, you know, people people always have have opinions one way or the other, and, and that's that's fine. You know, you do it your way, and I'll do it mine. Yeah, and that's what makes your bikes your bikes, and that's what you know the people that are that are truly fans of your work, and and I would count myself uh, uh, in that group of people. Um, that's what we want to see. When I see a bike come out of your shop, I I want to, you know, I want to hear, I want to see that it's a, a, a Paul Cox bike, and you know, it's just like when you when you'd buy a new Van Halen album and then you find out that Eddie Van Halen's really not playing the, the guitar much in this album because he wants to play keyboards. You're like, shit, <laughs> you know, I want to hear, I want to hear, you know, the, the, one of the greatest virtuosos actually, right. actually play. Um, I had two more questions right. for you. And, and, and the question that I had for you next would be that, you know, I know that you cycle through, um, projects and there's a time where, you know, you're not taking on any leather work or you're not taking on knife work on that. Like, what is the determining factor for you in that? Is it, is it what you are inspired to do or is it based off if you look at your workload and you go, okay, I know how long this takes. So for a little while, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something else or I've, I've got this much workload on my docket. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty literally that, you know, where I'll, I'll, you know, kind of cycle around the shop and I've got like my, engine bench, my knife bench, the leather bench, and then, you know, the bike lifts and, and fab tables in the middle. And, um, then I, if I, if I do feel like I'm getting a little bit backed up on leather work or people kind of waiting a little too long, um, you know, I'll, I'll back off of that a bit or, or same thing with knives. And, you know, it's just from kind of a practical standpoint where, um, you know, if, if the list gets a little long, I just try to, you know, keep it, you know, tighten it up a little bit. Cool. And the last question I have for you. So I have a friend that told me that his perfect motorcycle would be designed by British people, engineered by the Germans and built by the mm -hmm. Americans. Uh, obviously, you know, many people consider you, if not the one of the greatest bike builders of all time. And, and I don't want to drill down on that. What I want to yeah. know from you is the perfect That's bike. Nice What's that? I said, that's nice of you to say. Well, a lot of people say it. I'm not the only one, but it, it is it is a high honor. I mean, you know, the circles that we run in, there's the people hold you in in high regard, and and we really respect you well, for that. But um, it's very nice. Your your per, your perfect motorcycle would be designed by who, engineered by who, and built by who? <laughs> wow! Oh, that's that is that is challenging. Um, God, I don't know. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. 
designed by, I mean, there's so many great designers and so many different styles. I mean, it's one thing that I've always, you know, said about, you know, people that get down on maybe different styles of, or makes of bikes is that, you know, I just love motorcycles across the board. You know, they all do different jobs and serve different purposes. Um, I mean, and it's, it's tough too, because I do, you know, in, in all honesty, I get so kind of lost in my own work here and, and so hyper-focused on what I'm trying to get out the door and just always behind and always feel like I'm not getting enough done that it's hard to really keep tabs on a lot of what's going on around me, you know, industry wise. Right. And, um, you know, you have to really kind of make a conscious effort to check out what everybody else is doing. But yeah, there's, there's some incredible work. Yeah. But there's there's just so many people out there doing things that are unique to their own style and their own approach that are equally amazing and admirable. It's, it's even, even hard to pick one. Well, I appreciate your time today, man. I know it's super valuable. I wish you all the best of luck here in the future. I can't wait to see the BMW done. And I hope that you and I are in the same place at the same time so I can shake your hand. And I appreciate, you know, the parts and stuff I got from you this year. They're fantastic. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again very, very soon. Absolutely, Jason. No, it's been, it's been great to talk to you for a little bit, man. Well, have a great day, buddy. Take care. You too. Talk to you later. Bye.